Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast with my colleague Sam Hengeli. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. Today, we have the great privilege to speak with former 10-year Major League outfielder Scott Harrison. So, I guess we'll just start off. Scott, uh, thank you for taking the time out of your, I mean, maybe it's a busy schedule, but uh, thanks for taking the time uh, tonight to talk. And we kind of look forward to hearing what you have to say about, you know, your baseball career and, uh, and whatnot. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's always good to talk baseball, and especially this time of year, spring training is about to start. You're living in Arizona right now. Can you kind of just give us kind of an update about, like, what's kind of been, like, your schedule uh, as of now? Like, are you helping your your son uh, play baseball? Are you coaching? Um, what's kind of been going on for the past last couple months? Okay, uh, yeah, my my son, Dallas, he's 13. I, I coach him. I coach his 14 and under team. Uh, so we have uh, a few practices uh, a week. We usually practice Wednesday and Thursday nights. And then um, we have a few scheduled tournaments. I believe we have three tournaments scheduled in March. We had one last weekend. Um, and I think we're going to have a, a scrimmage uh, next week. Um, but March is going to be very busy. So uh, besides coaching, I, I give lessons. I give hitting and fielding lessons. So I'm pretty busy with that. Um, I'm also a wine consultant with Scout and Cellar, so I um, spend part of my time during the day just getting in contact with people on LinkedIn or Instagram who enjoy wine and health because mm-hmm. Scout and Cellar wines they um, are all natural. So yeah, uh, I, I I I I could say that I'm living a very good life because it's either baseball or wine for me, and I can't <laughs> doesn't get better than that. Well, yeah. and then you got the weather too, man. I mean, Arizona, you know, Sam and I, we're in Kansas City. It's, we've had two straight weeks of zero degrees. It's in snow. Man. It's It's been tough. I feel for you guys. <laughs> I, I really do. I really, honestly, I can say that because I'm from Illinois and um, they have about three feet of snow on the ground right now. And I don't miss that part of Illinois. I'm uh, shoveling snow and not being able to play ball outside. But, yeah, I feel bad for how are you guys, but the people in Texas, my goodness, yeah. they're not even used to that, and they're, and they're getting pounded. So mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's been it's, – the weather's tough, and it's tough to think about, like, spring base, spring training because uh, it's not – it's not baseball weather at all, but um, I'll ask you a couple questions kind of throughout this podcast. Sam, I know for sure has a lot of questions that he was um, that he kind of has uh, waiting to ask you. But I guess we're gonna just kind of start it off here with how you started playing baseball. Um, you know, you come from a pretty strong lineage of of baseball in your in your family. You know, three generations. Your 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 grandfather played. Uh, Sam Hairston played for the White Sox, and then it was part of the Negro Leagues. Um, your father, Jerry Harrison Sr., he had a 14-year career with the, the White Sox and Pirates. And then your brother, Jerry Harrison, he had 16 years. Um, it was funny. I actually didn't realize he played, like, every position except, like, pitcher and catcher. Um, but, you know, you have – you really came from a strong lineage. Can I just talk about, you know, how big baseball is in your family and how you kind of grew up watching the game? Yeah, so – Ever since I can remember, I was around a ball field. Uh, my dad, uh, 
and he played a lot of years. Uh, he, his career started and he signed in 1970, played in the minor leagues, and then got his big league call. I believe he made his debut in 1973. And I was born in 1980, so um, my brothers were ahead of me. I two older brothers, but um, I, I was we were just around the ballpark. Uh, frequently, and um, my dad wanted to make sure that uh, we got a chance to go in the clubhouse and on the field. And naturally, we loved the game. It wasn't a, an everyday occurrence that we were on the field, but um, probably once a homestand, we we got on the field and, and maybe in the clubhouse. That really made an impact on me uh, as a kid because uh, once witnessing that, you just want to get back. And you you want to make it your own. Uh, one day and I would dream about playing for the White Sox and being in the big leagues and be in my backyard throwing the ball to myself just it was just in my blood you can say that because baseball is just so big in my family it started with my grandfather and then Mm -hmm. my uh, my uncle Sam played in the minor leagues but unfortunately he had to go to Vietnam and then it was my uncle John who ended up playing for the Cubs the 69 Cubs for a season and then my dad made his debut a few years later after that so um i had two uncles that played i had a dad that played uncle john he had three sons that played minor league ball not only made it the big leagues but they got close and then and then it came jerry and jerry had his career and then so naturally i was the youngest harrison boy out of the group and i heard a lot of stories growing up just at family gatherings because my grandfather, he'd just sit down and whenever we'd go visit him in Birmingham, he'd have quite a few stories to, to tell that nobody has heard before. And we'd just sit down. Um, I usually made my way to the floor because the, the adults and the older uh, boys got the, the seats on the couch. And I was the youngest, so I always sat on the floor by my dad. But um, those are just good memories that really um, increased my love for the game and Again, I never wanted to do anything else. I never pictured myself doing anything else besides yeah. playing baseball. I mean, I'm trying to like, you know, because it's tough, man. Like, you know, I, I mean, Sam and I have played. I mean, I've played uh, at a young age. But, man, it's just having that sport ingrained in you at a young age is just definitely different. Um, like, how did it feel, you know, watching your own father on television or just kind of watching him suit up for games every day and go to the ballpark? Like, that just – because it, it, you know, it's it's unique because not many fathers play professional baseball. It just it, it's just so yeah. unique. It, it is. I, I remember that feeling like it was yesterday um, as a child. Because, um, for instance, there's times where right before the game would start, we go down right outside the clubhouse and. My dad uh, would give us money for the concession stand or something like that. So he would he would open the clubhouse door and he'd be in full uniform. So to see your dad in full uniform up close, that that kind of makes an impact on you as a child because yes, you realize hey that's dad, mm-hmm. but usually you see him in in clothes that he wears around the house, and then you see him wearing the uniform and. And then on the field and performing and stuff like that, and you're in the stands. That's my dad, and fans cheering and stuff like that. It's it, it's it's really invigorating as as a child. Just makes you really joyful and proud. And yeah, my my dad was my hero. He really was, and I respected him much more as a dad because he instilled values in us that I'm passing on to, to my sons. But Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just 
just having a dad that that played the game that that you loved, you you wanted to be. I, I mean, from the time I was probably five, six years old, I, I wanted to be a big leaguer, and uh, and it was having a dad that had played uh, made me want to do that, and later on in life wanted to make it to make him proud. I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, uh, so you attended a Canyon Day Oral High School, and that's uh, Oral Valley, Arizona. And then, and uh, you were uh, teammates with Ian Kinsler at Central Arizona Junior College. Uh, what was it like playing with Ian Kinsler? Did you see like some of the potential that he would end up showing later and during his uh, MLB career? And uh, give us a little bit of like what it's like to be playing at the JUCO level because uh, living in Kansas, junior college is a very popular uh, route for uh, many, many kids and, and student athletes to go through that two-year, one to two-year process. Right, yeah, so, uh, <coughs> excuse me, I actually have to um, inform you guys that before Central Arizona College, Ian, I, Ian and I played with each other at Canyo de Oro as well. Ian's from Tucson, and not only me and Ian played together at CDO, but former big leaguers Brian Anderson and the late Chris Duncan, who just passed about a year and a half ago, uh, unfortunately, of brain cancer. But Chris was um, a huge part of our team. He ended up playing for the Cardinals. His older brother, Shelly, who was a year before us, he graduated a year before us. He also played in the big leagues with the New York Yankees and the Cleveland Indians. And then we had, uh, I think, if I'm, if, if I'm forgetting somebody, we, we, we had quite a few guys that played in the minor leagues uh, after that. But um, that happened at C- CDO at our high school, uh, Central Arizona College. He and I played together. He was a freshman when I was a sophomore. But uh, my roommate at Central was Rich Harden. Rich Harden pitched for the A's um, for, I believe, six seasons and played with the Texas Rangers as well. So uh, I, I have quite a uh, uh, history <laughs> once I went to high school with in college. Um, I was fortunate to be around those guys. I think we kind of pushed each other to go further in baseball, and, and, and I, that just didn't happen by accident, I think. Yeah, de- definitely. Man, you guys' te- junior college team was really good as well as your high school team. I don't think people, most people – don't realize how like competitive and talented uh, JUCO is, especially at the uh, baseball level. So that's a uh, really nice uh, info you and uh, inside you gave us there, Scott, on uh, your your college and high school career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. Junior college doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, I, I think, especially out here in Arizona, it's it's really competitive. There's a lot of good players that come out of JUCO here in, in California and in Texas and in Kansas even. Mm-hmm. I, um, Remember, I actually played one summer in Liberal, Kansas, in, in summer of 2000, before my sophomore year at Central. I went down there and played for the Liberal BJs. I don't know if you guys have heard of them before, but I think uh, Mike Hardgrove might have coached them at one point after he managed Seattle. I, I think. I think you're correct. Yes, I think that's right before I came over there. Um, but yeah, I, I actually uh, have good memories out in Kansas. So play with uh, Travis Hafner. Um, Travis was right before me, I believe. Okay. I remember hearing about him. Um, I think he was a couple years older than I was. Yeah, yeah, he went to Cali Community College in uh, Southern Kansas. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, Sam, you know, mentioned it. Johnson, uh, I mean, J- Johnson County Community College is like the closest community college to where we're at. And I mean, we've had a baseball coach. Uh, I think he retired maybe last year or a year before Kent Shelley. And while he wasn't coaching Johnson County, he was like a scout for the Royals. And, um, and he had, okay. and throughout his career, I mean, when I was there for three years, um, there's several players that came, a couple outfielders, uh, a catcher that either moved on to play, you know, at a higher, co- at a more prominent college or enter their name, um, you know, in the major league draft. And that's kind of what I was kind of segueing to, you know, you got drafted third round 2001 MLB draft by Arizona debuted at 24. Is that correct? Or is that, was, yeah. that, your, was that your major right, league or minor league? Right before my 24th birthday. I think it was three weeks before my 24th okay. birthday that um, I made my debut. Okay. So I, you know, Sam and I are pretty curious about, you know, how that kind of process was getting, getting drafted by the Diamondbacks. And then if you can kind of give some insight about maybe your life as a minor leaguer, because I think, you know, Sam and I, we, I mean, we, we see players get drafted and we don't, I don't think people realize just how many rounds there are in, in an MLB draft. It's so, so many players that do get selected, but not a lot of guys end up sticking in the minors and they right. end up making the majors. So can I just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, it was, it was really, really an awesome experience getting drafted. Um, I remember like it was yesterday I was at my parents' house and, uh, we sat there watching the computer computer screen and I ended up getting drafted and a special moment for me and my family. And then, uh, I ended up going to Missoula, Montana and Missoula, Montana, if you haven't been there, it's a beautiful place, but uh, kind of a small town, college town, and it's a lot different than uh, what I what I was used to. I, I went from Illinois to Arizona to Montana. So the minor league life, again, that's not something a lot of people talk about. There uh, is a lot of travel, bus travel, sleeping on the ground of the bus. There's eight, nine hour bus rides. I think our, our longest one was 13 hours to Medicine Hat, Canada. I think we went from, was it Provo, Utah to Medicine Hat one night. We ended up arriving like 10 minutes before game time and we had to get dressed really quick and get out on the field. That was an interesting night. But just the minor league life, there's fortunately enough, I was high drafted, but there's a lot of a lot of players, they, they didn't have that draft status. They didn't receive a, a big bonus. And a lot of the minor leaguers that were from the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, towns like that, or countries like that, I'm sorry, um, they had to send their paychecks to their families because they didn't come from much. And I, I kind of caught wind of that. And that's not something that, again, we didn't really expect that we because we weren't educated on that so to have teammates from all walks of life that was a, a really a sobering experience because a lot of those guys were just fighting to provide for their families make it to the big leagues they were happy to be in america playing baseball filling their dreams and they're just so i guess the added pressure was for them to make it uh, so they can pr- provide the minor leagues the system in itself it's been talked about recently, but the fact that the minor league players are getting still getting paid so little is is not fair. 
because again, to make it that far, to make it to the minor leagues, it takes a lot of work. And once you sign that contract and that's your job and you're considered a professional, you should be paid accordingly. And hopefully that would change, but I saw some things in the minor leagues again where guys were living in two-bedroom apartments and there's eight players in there. (laughs) And so usually that is not something that you would think that, hey, I'm going to sign a professional contract, but then I have to split rent with seven other guys Mm -hmm. because we don't get paid enough. So, But anyway, the good part of the minor leagues was playing in front of crowds, a couple thousand. For me, I came from junior college, and the most that we've ever had at a game was probably 100 people. <laughs> but to, to play with crowds, six, 7,000, that was exciting. Small towns, that's, that's all they had, really, was their minor league baseball team. People would ask for your autograph. You'd have super fans that had been there since the 70s, and then in double A, we got to travel by plane, so that was pretty cool. Again, came from junior college, we didn't do that. There were some guys that came from Division One schools that that wasn't new to them, but that was new to me. So that was kind of cool. And then AAA was more glamorized, um, bigger ballparks, uh, a lot more fans, and players that you saw on TV that you're like, man, this guy was in the big leagues for quite some time. I was in AAA, so. That was a really cool experience for me, and um, we, my wife and I had our first son when I was in AAA in 2006. Mm-hmm. So I, I became a dad. I was in AAA. I had already played in the minor, or excuse me, the major leagues in 2004, but then I got sent back down to the minor leagues for a couple of years. I was back and forth, but I would, I would say I really enjoyed my minor league experience. It, it, it was humbling, and just the grind to perform every day to just get to the big leagues and there's a lot of patience involved in that because when, you, when you're in rookie ball your your mindset is like wow okay I'm, I'm a couple years away but i need to do what i got to do to get there sometimes you get antsy especially as soon as you're in double a you're kind of knocking on the door but um but yeah I, I really enjoyed it met a lot of good people i had a lot of good teammates some of my best teammates were from the minor leagues that fortunately didn't make it to the big leagues but mm-hmm. we had some fun times together uh, Going to small town bars and living in small towns, have, you know, living with host families, and just very humble, uh, humble beginnings in the minor leagues. Yeah, I think what you mentioned about like rookie ball, um, it, it's it just seems like w- once you start your minor league career in rookie ball, it's just you have to have a really strong mindset to be able to grind. Because if you want to compare the minor leagues to really all the other sports, you know, basketball. Uh, there is no minor leagues in football or hockey. You know, all these guys usually are only there for maybe a year or two, and then they they're in the they're in the majors. They they have their chance, but that's really not the case in baseball. You can be in the minors for nine ten, nine ten years possibly, but um, I kind of want to get uh, just you know you said that you, you you met a lot of guys and you played with a lot of guys that in the minors that didn't reach the majors. Um, did you play with any guys in the minor league system that did play in the majors? Um, that are, that's kind of, they're kind of noteworthy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did. I, I played with, for instance, on the D backs. There's quite a few guys that, that I played with that made it to the big leagues. Carlos Quentin, Chris Young came up together. The Diamondbacks, he had a good career. Mm-hmm. Sergio Santos, he actually came up as a shortstop, but 
He ended up being a closer for the Blue Jays and the White Sox. Miguel Montero, who I saw a couple weeks ago, I played with him in AAA. He turned out to be a really good player. And then um, yeah, there's quite a few pitchers that I played with. I ended up Brandon Webb, I played with him briefly mm-hmm. in the minor leagues. Yep. Robbie Hammock, Matt Cata, those guys I played with. But yeah, I mean, we had a lot of prospects in the Dynamax organization. Unfortunately, we all got traded away, but... Yeah, there there is there's quite a quite a few guys that that was a good era of baseball. We I would say just around the league, the, the guys that we came up with, we were able to uh, climb the system, climb the ladder pretty quick. Most of us, so it was fun. I, I played in the Arizona Fall League too for for a couple of years. That was a good experience. I don't think the Fall League is talked about as much as it used to be anymore. But it's a prospect league. It's out here in Arizona. Yeah, like that. Is it the Arizona Fall League? Is it that's what's called? Well, yeah, I know one of my dad dad's friends who lives down in Scottsdale. He he got like season tickets one year, and he went to like every game. He told me it was like one of the most fun experiences he has watching baseball. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's um it's interesting. I guess the fans out here in Arizona get spoiled because there's spring training out here in March and February and March. And then you have the regular season, and then in October, November, you have the fall league. So I guess by then, people are maybe baseballed out, and they they realize, yeah, it's a prospect showcase league, but there isn't too much camaraderie around it where fans come out and cheer their prospects on. But it's still a good uh, league to watch. I actually took my sons to watch a few games a couple years ago. Um, and I believe some of the players that we've watched, and I, I would tell them, some of the guys you're watching right now will be in the big leagues in a couple of years, mm-hmm. but they're still working their way up in the minor, minor leagues. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's that's a fun. That was a fun league. I, I really enjoyed my minor league experience, and mm-hmm. and again, I have a lot of stories and a lot of uh, memories in the minor leagues that I will never forget. I mean, if you want to, if you want to uh, retell some of the minor league stories, I mean, hey, we're, we're here to listen. <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell one embarrassing story, and then I'll tell a pretty good story. How's that? I'll, I like so, it. I guess I'm showing a little humility, but uh, one of my most embarrassing moments ever on a baseball field was I was, I was a second baseman. This was in Missoula, Montana. And so I was playing second base, and I, I caught a ball. I think there was a, a hit and run or something like that. And the yeah, I guess it was either hit and run, whatever it may be. But I got the ball, and then the runner was between first and second. So I held the ball up, and again, this runner, mind you, this is part of the story. The runner is probably like six four, six five. I think he was like a big first baseman or something. But there's a runner on third base, so I'm looking at him. And I'm looking at the runner on third base. I'm like, okay, I can't let the runner on third base make it home. So I'm swiveling back and forth, and the and the, and the guy is like backpedaling, the guy that between first and second. So I'm running him back to first base, and then so all of a sudden the runner on that, that was between third and home, he goes back to third base. So as soon as he does that. I just throw the ball to where the first baseman should be at the bag. Unfortunately, there wasn't a first baseman at the bag. So I threw the ball and then the runner kind of gives me this look like, well, you didn't know that there wasn't anybody like at first base. And he just 
pause and then he just went on the second base i had to run all the way to the wall to, to the to the wall by the uh dugout and as soon as i did that our own dugout started busting out laughing as soon as i threw the ball and fortunately it was a day game there wasn't a lot a lot of people there but the fans were even laughing our home fans and i had to run and get the ball and um the, the runner, obviously, that was on third base made it home. The runner that I was running back, fortunately, he didn't make it to third base. He ended up stopping at second. But that was pretty embarrassing. I was in a run down by myself, running down a, <laughs> a, a, a base runner. And I ended up throwing the ball to, to a ghost, pretty much. Just how, just, how you, just how you draw it up. Yeah, right. So that was pretty embarrassing, and people didn't. Stop talking about that for weeks. But fortunately, one of my favorite moments uh, in the minor leagues came that same year, I believe. It was a, probably about a month later. We were in Idaho Falls. This was 4th of July weekend. So in Idaho Falls, they maxed out the stadium. They probably maxed out 2,500 people there or something, which was very exciting for a rookie ball crowd. So it was 4th of July, and uh, we were the opposing team. And so my first at bat, there's this guy on the mound who's throwing pretty hard. I hit, there's like a 3 1 count, and I was sitting dead right on the fastball, and I got it, and I didn't miss it. And the ball was carrying good that night, and I had a falls. So it was a no doubter. So I, I kind of tossed my bat a little bit, stood there, not too bad, but I, I knew it was gone, and had a little style with it, and just ran around the bases, and then the, the crowd was booing me. <laughs> they're yelling, they're booing, and they're, oh, yes, that. So I touch home plate, and um, the next time up, the same. There's another. There's a different pitcher. They made a pitching change, and this guy threw hard too. So I get up there, and, and one of my teammates goes, "Yeah, hey man, we're probably gonna get hit this at that. So just <laughs> heads up." So I'm like, "Thanks." So I, I get up there, and the first pitch is at my neck, and I, I fall down on my back, and then the crowd starts cheering. And I, I dust myself off, and I kind of give the umpire a look. And the catcher, was he didn't even look at me. He was just ready to put down the next sign. The next pitch was behind me, and the crowd even goes even more nuts, start cheering. <laughs> and then I step out, and I look at the umpire, and I said, well, you're not going to say anything? You know that guy's trying to hit me. And then, so he didn't say anything. The umpire kind of looked at me like, I don't care. <laughs> And then so then I stepped on and took a practice swing, took a deep breath, and so it was a two account. And then I stepped back in, and I just remember thinking to myself, if this guy comes anywhere near the plate, I'm going to swing as hard as I can, and I'm not going to miss it. So he threw a 2-0 fastball, belt high, down the middle, and I hit it further than I hit the first one. <laughs> and I made sure that I stood there longer. And then I, I tossed my bat and started jogging around the bases, and the crowd started cheering. Oh. And I was rounding the bases, and, and the, the crowd was standing up cheering, and I touched home plate. And by the time I get to home plate, the manager is out in the mound cussing his pitcher out, and then he made a pitching change, and that guy was gone. <laughs> so that was one of my favorite moments. But again, a, a month and a half before that, that was one of my most embarrassing moments. As a baseball player, oh but my God. Uh, that was uh, that was one of my better moments, I would say. 
in my career because that's just revenge. You guys literally trying to hit you. He missed once, he missed twice, and he. I think he he saw me talking to the umpire and probably didn't want to get thrown out of the game. <laughs> get suspended or anything like that so he figured he he should maybe try to throw a strike and the next pitch after that hit me so it's not obvious but that that pitch that he was just trying to get over ended up in the uh, cornfield in the back that so. is that is one heck of a story man in today's um, game there's a lot of controversy about players and you know pitchers that end up throwing at guys once they give up a home run like a pitcher starting pitcher gives up back-to-back homers uh to a to a batter and then the third the third plate appearance he beans him uh i know that's like a big unwritten rule in baseball and all that stuff but like for you to bear down and and hit a home run right after he tried to intentionally hit you back-to-back pitches is pretty insane (laughs) yeah well I, i i just told myself that hey if he's going to waste a pitch here, I'm going to be ready for it. And he better make it high or low. But, man, he threw that thing right down the middle. And I just I, I just made sure that I just didn't mess it. I mean, but, yeah, it's, again, it's part of the game where he tried to get me twice. And, hey, it is what it is, pitcher versus hitter. It's a one-on-one battle. And he made the decision to try to hit me. I know his manager was telling him to do that. I didn't even know him. I, I don't know what type of person he was, but he missed me twice and he paid for it. He should have hit me the first time <laughs> or the second time, but he didn't. Oh so I made sure that when I got it, I stood there for a little bit. And, uh, but, but yeah, so going back to the, now I'm, I'm not against hitting guys. People ask me that all the time. If you were a pitcher, would you hit people? And, I would probably say depends. If I had a protected teammate, I would. I was never a pitcher, so I, I, I've been in that situation where pitchers have asked me when I, after I, I got hit intentionally, the pitcher would come up to me and say, hey, man, do you, you want me to hit somebody? And, and every time I would say no. I would say no. I said, unless you face the pitcher that hit me, <laughs> then go right ahead because he needs a taste of his own medicine. But I said, hey, man, if it's just another hitter, don't, don't worry about it. And I appreciated the pitchers that, that would come up to me and ask me. But every time I said no, uh, because I would say, hey, look, what's done is done. Let's move on. You don't have to send a message. And I don't want this going on your record. I don't want this to turn into an inning where you have to work harder than you should putting somebody on base. So they they appreciate they appreciated that mm-hmm. too. And also too, I said I don't want an, uh, another one of our guys getting hit because right. of me. Because if you retaliate, then you're gonna get another one of, uh, one of our guys. So I said, hey, what's done is done. So uh, so uh, so you ended up so after Arizona, you got traded to uh, San Diego, and uh, you got an opportunity to play with uh, quite a few uh, Hall of Fame pitchers like. Uh, Jake, our baby all-star pitcher Jake Peavy, uh, Greg Maddox was there, and then uh, probably arguably the one of the greatest closers of all time, uh, Trevor Hoffman. Uh, what was it like being in a locker room with, with those guys? And uh, did you learn? Did they uh, teach you anything about like that or like how to ha- look at starting pitchers, and then like and maybe some like mental tips as well? It was a great, great time in san diego it resurrected my career it just made me appreciate the big leagues much more 
being around those guys who I respect so much at the time and even now. I mean, those guys, Greg Maddox, Trevor Hoffman, those guys were class acts. I mean, they were so intelligent. They knew how to pitch. They were genuine guys. They were really good teammates. It was really a joy to be around them. Honestly, I, I was so lucky, and I, I look back at my career. I think that's the best place I could have landed uh, in San Diego after my experience with Arizona because my experience with Arizona, unfortunately, wasn't a good one. But I went to San Diego, and, man, those guys, being around them and, and Brian Giles, Jake TV, mm-hmm. Mike Cameron was there. Um, these guys were really, really good people and went about their business the right way. I learned a lot about them. I learned a lot about playing the outfield, watching Mike Cameron. He was uh, quite an athlete. And, and Mike Cameron was one, one guy that I watched uh, growing up in, in, in Chicago. He played for the White Sox. He was a top prospect and came up. And I remember seeing his the start of his career, and I, I ended up playing with him. Uh, a funny tidbit, uh, Mike Cameron, so my dad, my dad sold insurance life insurance after he retired from the White Sox and he would he would go to the ballpark every year and um, talk to some of the guys that didn't have life insurance because back then I wasn't talked about as much as it is now so Mike Cameron was one of my dad's clients so uh, my dad uh, was saying hey my boy needs some spikes his season starts in a couple weeks you got an extra pair and so Mike was nice enough to send a pair home with my dad, and I used those spikes my freshman year in high school. And so I ended up—I told Mike that story. He forgot about it, but we ended up playing together, and we ended up—we ended up playing the outfield together. So just stuff like that. Baseball is just amazing. Um, but again, my time in San Diego was changed my career, changed my outlook on the game. And again, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm so thankful that I was traded there. Such a great town, and now they've they got quite a, a future there, which I'm very happy that San Diego finally has a team that could go far into the postseason. Yeah, definitely. These years, for sure. I saw uh, Fernando Tatis had a big got that deal today, so San Diego's yeah. gonna look good long term. Uh, so, uh, so you also you also got to play with uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. Of course, Mr. Padre son. Uh, what was it like playing with him? And did you also get to talk to his dad and uh, and uh, talk about and uh, what would if you did? Uh, what was like probably like the biggest uh, takeaway you got from uh, Mr. Padre? The Tony Gwynn Senior. It was you were just kind of in awe of his knowledge of hitting, and I watched him as a player. And to just know him personally, and just to, I would go down whenever he was at the ballpark. He came a lot in the clubhouse when, when Tony was playing with us, but he would come down and help some of the hitters in the in the batting cage. And unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to work with him, but it was some of the older players that got kind of like the first dibs. I would sit there and I'd have my coffee and I would just listen to him talk hitting for like an hour and a half. I would just sit there and just listen. And he would do that on his own time and he was just an outstanding human being really genuine so nice um and his son is the same way tony tony jr great teammate great guy and could hit too he could hit uh, i think that uh, he, he probably i'm not saying he didn't get enough chances but he was a good player he, he could do everything he can run he can hit 
to play the outfield. He was a good player. He wasn't the batting champion like his dad was, but he was still a good player. And Actually, ironically, we were texting the other day about three or four days ago. I, I still keep in touch with him. A good family man and good person. So, again, one of those San Diego experiences, getting to meet Tony Gwynn Sr. and talking briefly with him about baseball and knowing him before he passed and playing with his son, who's still my friend today. So San Diego brought a lot to my life. I, I appreciate I, I appreciate all the people I, I, I got to know from there. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a pretty very awesome that you got to have those great experiences. You had a great time in San Diego. I've, I've been to a game at Petco Park, and that's probably like probably easily one of my favorite ballparks I ever played. I ever went to a game at. And uh, is it true that like were you, were you playing with the Padres when Barry Bonds hit seven fifty five? Is that true? That is true. He hit it over my head. <laughs> <laughs> If you watch the highlights, I'm playing left field when he hit his he tied Hank Aaron. Man. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about Arizona briefly, then you just went into your time in San Diego. Uh, you also had some time with the Mets, and you were uh, a pinch-hitting god. You had a lot of clutch hits coming up as a pinch-hitter. You also hit for the cycle against the Rockies. I believe that was, was it 2012, 2013? I, I hit the cycle in 2012. 2012. Uh, right, yes. Obviously, we know how rare of a feat that is. I mean, just how did it feel getting that cycle against Colorado or just maybe, I guess, making these big uh, hits in the clutch as a pinch hitter? With the Mets, I was uh, I was put in situations where it was somewhat similar to my Padres career at the start. I was put in clutch situations to perform pinch hitting and that's something that you have the ability to do in the national league because there's a lot more pinch hitters opportunity pinch hitting for the pitcher American league that's have the dh so that's not much of an opportunity but i was fortunate enough to play in the national league pinch hitting for a pitcher and in a clutch spot maybe run around first and second late in the game. And it was just one of those moments that I kind of took pride in. I learned this from my dad because my dad, he led the White Sox in pinch hitting in 1983 and 1984. I believe he not only led the White Sox, but I think he led the league in pinch pinch hits. And so I would kind of pick his brain on his mentality. And it was kind of like the like, like father, like son. Now, granted, my dad was... People ask us all the time, who was the best hitter in the family? And my dad, he was, I would, I would say he was the toughest out. Because my, my dad could just battle, battle, battle. He was a contact hitter. I think his, he probably had the best swing of us all. So, but the mentality of hitting in the clutch, my dad had some clutch hits. He, it's kind of like a calming, somewhat of like a inner fire, but you have to have a calming as well. And just because you got that one chance off the bench to perform. So yeah, as as a everyday player, you're, you're going to get three or four at-bats. So you know when you walk up to the plate the first time, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's, let's get it. If I, if I don't get it this at-bat, I got two or three more at-bats after that. But as a pinch hitter, you got one chance. You got one opportunity. So your focus is just, I would say so much, I wouldn't say so much more, but just your heart's beating faster. You're in the clutch situations. It's the seventh or eighth inning. And you have to rise to the occasion. You have to prepare for that mentally the whole game. And so with the Mets, 
I would say with the Padres, I I, I had kind of uh, had the reputation of coming in late in the game and, and getting some clutches. So by the time I got with the Mets, Terry Collins, our manager, was confident enough in me to put me in that situation. And I can feel that as a player. So when, when your manager is confident in you to put you in that situation, then you feel better about yourself. You're like, all right, Terry put me in. Okay. He has confidence in me. And so that helped me out to, to get my feet wet in New York for the first year. And the second year was, I would say, probably the best year of my career as an MLB player. But um, the time in New York was great. Again, um, big city, experiencing New York life. That was my first taste of really playing in a big city. And it was interesting to get used to New York. The media there, it's unlike anything else. Was it cutthroat? Yeah. At times it was because in 2011, I mean, we we had a, a pretty good team, but I think we, we didn't play nearly as well as we should have. Uh, we had David Wright, third third base, Jose Reyes at short, uh, Daniel Murphy played a little second uh, briefly, uh, first base, we had uh, Ike Davis, I believe that, he was, that was his rookie year, and then in the outfield, we had a good outfield, Carlos Beltran, Angel Bacan, uh, Jason Bay was out there, and I think on paper, the city of New York thought we should have been doing a lot better than we should have been. Unfortunately, we had a lot of injuries. That's what really killed our season. But when you're a player like myself who comes in and just to fill the gaps, you can kind of turn into a whipping boy a little bit. And so, but again, uh, I, I don't, I don't think that. Fortunately, I mean, I, I wasn't. It was never considered a star player. It would have been different if I was. But, yeah, I had my share of getting booed and stuff like that by home fans. And the media would tear into you a little bit. But that was a whole different realm than what I was used to. But I think overall my experience in New York was a good one because you appreciated the city. You appreciated the, the baseball history. New York is such a big city. It was everything that you could dream of doing out there and I, I really in, in, enjoyed especially my second year being there so i mean i did ask i did like mention about like when you hit the cycle in 2012 do you ha- did you did you ever get a ball for that I, actually um i did i did I, uh, one fan um just sent me a ball it was from just that game i guess he caught a foul ball and he he wrote me a letter he said this is a foul ball from the game he hit the cycle with and then he sent me his ticket for the game. So that was really nice of him. And I signed a couple cards and sent it back to him. So I do have it in my case. And he was nice enough to say, Scott Harrison is for the cycle. I think it was April 11th or, so, or something like that. Put the date on it. Um, so that was really nice of him to do that. But hitting for the cycle was, again, this is, this is a rare situation. You don't go to the ballpark and say, man, I, I might hit for the cycle today. Right. You never, right. you never say that. You can say, yeah, I feel, I feel like I'm going to hit a home run today, and sometimes it happens. But cycle, no, because it's just so rare. And um, the first hit I got was a single, and then the second hit was a home run, and the third was a triple. So when I hit the triple, one of my teammates goes, "Oh, all you need is that double." And it was only the sixth inning, so I was going to at least get two at-bats, the seventh and the ninth. So then I'm like, okay, I got two chances to hit a double. 
So then my second to last at bat, um, I got to a three-two count, and I just told myself, I'm like, okay, you're you're not gonna take here. You're swinging unless it bounces. Just swing the bat because it was a part of the game where I, I knew I was gonna get a fastball. He wasn't he wasn't gonna throw me. I mean, the pitcher was struggling to throw strikes, so he's not gonna throw me a breaking ball. So fortunately, I got a fastball like letter high, and I hit it in the gap, which I could have stretched out maybe a triple, but you had the I cycle kind of pulled, on the line. Yeah, so <laughs> I kind of rounded second aggressively, acting like I was gonna go to third, and then went back to second. And I think my last at bat, I like ended up either striking out or popping up, but I still got the cycle. But but yeah, that that was that was a good moment. That was that was a really good moment, and I, I'm proud to say that I'm the only. Harrison then is hit for the cycle. How many yeah. do you know at the top of your head how many New York Mets have hit hit for the cycle? Before me there was nine nine Mets that hit for the cycle. Okay. Which is again, because I had no idea before I did it. They're they were saying, Yeah, you're the tenth Met that hit for the cycle. And I know the Mets have been around since the sixties. And so I'm like, Oh wow, really? They're like, Yeah, you're you're the only tenth you're the tenth Met that the last Met that hit for the cycle was, I think it was six or seven years before that. So I'm like, well, I, had to, I didn't know that. But New York fans love their history and the media does too. So they're like eating that up <laughs> more so than I was. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, that, that was a good moment. I, mean, I guess that's something my dad and my brother, they don't have over me because my brother always brings up his World Series ring. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he won it with the Yankees, right? Right. Yeah, very cool. Um, so uh, I guess here a topic I really want to talk about is a lot some of the mental side of, of baseball. This um, first question would be uh, how what percentage would you say baseball is mental and uh, how much is physical? Okay, so should I use a Yogi Berra line? <laughs> sure. How much is it mental? How much is it physical? Well, I would say it's more mental than physical. I wouldn't give a percent. I mean, okay, let's say percentage, maybe 60, 40, 60 mental, 40% physical. It's more mental because there's certain aspects of baseball that there's a lot of things you can't control. There's a lot of variables. So, okay, what's the guy going to throw on a given pitch? He can throw anything. If you don't know what pitch is coming, you don't know where it's going to be low, high, inside, outside. Uh, not only that, even if you hit the ball, good uh it could be caught in the gap somebody can make a diving play now you're saying okay that's physical but as a hitter seeing that that's mental because that can drive you crazy if you if you line out three times in a game which i've done before um that's part of the game that a lot of people don't talk about so just in comparison to other sports usually when you hit a good good shot in golf it's a good shot there's not going to be somebody grabbing it out of there and throwing it in the sand trap it is what it is you hit it and it'll go where it's going to go there's no interference the only interference you have is wind but the wind you already know that it's there and it's not going to discriminate and it's the same wind that everybody else is dealing with baseball it's so many variables the mental aspect of going through a slump now, there's slumps in golf, too, because um, there's people that, okay, their swing is off a little bit. Their swing coach told them to do something. And 
they can't feel their swing or whatever. But again, the ball's not moving, and they're in control of where the ball goes. And it's something that they can work on by themselves and at the range. In baseball, there's nothing like the real thing. So you're out there, you're facing somebody. You're one-on-one. There's really not much of a sport where you can compare it to in that aspect. So that's why I believe baseball is the most mental game in the world because it's the it's the hardest, it's the most mentally grueling sport there is. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, uh, since so, so the mental game, since so baseball is so mental, uh, throughout your career, like. What routines would you do, like, before the game, like, when you were at bat and when you were in the outfield that you did on a, a consistent basis to get you uh, locked in and be present whenever your time came up? Yeah, I relied on video. I was a big video guy. I'm a visual learner, so I felt comfortable. There, I couldn't watch too, too much video. There were some players that didn't really – they would watch some that were like, oh, I don't want to just overwhelm myself with video. I wasn't one of those guys. I wanted to know everything. It, it wasn't to my demise because I was able to block certain things out, but I wanted to know pitchers' tendencies. I wanted to know how they they pitched the last start. Unfortunately, later on in my career, we had it to where I can click on any pitcher in the league and I can see the last three, four starts he had. And then I, would, I can match up. So, for instance, there's a player that I felt that was very similar to me hitting wise. I could match up a pitcher against a certain player on a different team and see how they pitched them. And I knew at the time that, of course, there was a, a, a book on every player, including myself, that that pitcher and catcher is going to go by. But it gave me a better idea of my opponent. Um, I'm like, okay, if he pitches this certain player this way, he's probably going to pitch me the same way. Or, or how is his cutter working how's his breaking ball working was his, was he getting his curveball over the last start was he just pounding in the dirt was he leaving it up is this is it a pitch that i can give up on because i know it's not going to be a strike or is it going to be a pitch that i know i can't give up on because it's going to come down in the zone so but not only that you gotta you gotta worry about six six pit probably four to six pitches at the big league level because every pitcher nowadays has at least four it wasn't like it was back then uh, in the 70s and 80s where a pitcher had like three pitches. You at least have four pitches nowadays, and probably up to seven. So as a hitter, you got to prepare for all that. But again, you, you don't want to be a head case at the plate either. So you, it's kind of a fine tune. It's, it's a tightrope walk that you have to walk and you have to learn yourself as a person. You have, to, you have to learn yourself as a player and what works and what doesn't work. And uh, the, the mindset you need to be when coming in the game. So it was kind of like a, a, a two-part mindset I had. If I, was, if I was a starter, I had a mindset of a starter to where my routine was a little different. I'd, I'd have to prepare earlier. If I was coming to the game later, if I was, wasn't in the starting lineup, of course, I'd watch my video before the game, but then but I would do a light stretch uh, before the game just in case – Somebody got hurt and I went in, but I did my main preparations around the fifth and sixth inning. So I would go and get stretched out, have a good stretch for about 15 minutes, hit in the cage a little bit, watch a little bit more video of some of the guys that had been warming up in the bullpen, and then I was ready to go. 
I, I, at the same time, I would, I would just get ready mentally, just visualizing good things, hitting the ball in the gap or getting a big, big hit. So I think that's important too. what a lot of people don't talk about, visualizing success and that would turn into reality. And that's something that I, I really learned um, as a young player in the minor leagues. Uh, I, I kind of actually learned that in college. We had, we had a, a sports um, psychologist come in talking about that. And I really grabbed a hold of that and I used that to my benefit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My school, uh, my, my, my cross country head coach and like, he was one of my professors. My sport, he is also my sports psychology professor. He, we would do a lot of the visualization stuff and like focus on breath. And then one thing I want to ask about that I that I've learned a lot in my time in college is uh, self talk. Um, so uh, when you hit the cycle, what was your self talk like? And like, what was your self talk when you came through with late hits? But also, what was your self talk like when you had like what maybe had like an O for four with like multiple strikeouts? Do you like notice like like the tendencies of things you would tell yourself when you're at your best and at your worst? Well, yeah. Uh, so when I hit for that cycle, uh, I, there wasn't there wasn't anything that I felt special that day. It just it just happened. My last at bat, though, well, second to last at bat, when I hit that double, the only self talk I had was, "You're swinging the bat. You're not taking." unless it bounces. <laughs> so that was my self-talk. Talk. I wasn't trying to hit the cycle for that day. Now, unfortunately, I mean, I, I, I haven't been, I wasn't too nice to myself mentally when I would fail. I think that's just the way that I had to be. Now, a lot of books wouldn't tell you this, but it, it, it would tell you, and I read them too. Yeah, positive self-talk, and I, and I I believe in that. I believe that positive self-talk. And if you are that type of person that can do that, great. But for me, I was kind of a disciplinarian of my own self, and that's just something that I felt that I needed to be to kick my own butt. Um, and I I think that that just what's kind of made me drive harder. And I don't mean to sound cheesy, but I never really had the mindset of people really were going to give me the benefit of the doubt. And I, I always felt that I had to I had to do above and beyond what was even expected of me. And um, that's just the way I've been. That's the way I am now in certain aspects of my life. I just um, I just think that way. But but everybody has their own life. Everybody has their own career. Anything that could motivate you as a player and as a person to get toward their goal, um, only you know that. I, I could sit down with somebody and talk to them about their life, but in actuality, I don't know what's going on in their head, and they don't know what's going on in mine. And we all we've all been to, through different stuff, but it's all about finding a way to get there. And our journeys are are different, and sometimes you have to be your your best coach. Sometimes you do need that kick in the butt, but at the same time, I think uh, later on in life, I, when I, I look back, and I think as a young kid, you don't slow life down as much. You don't think that life could just make a complete 180 one day. You could get sick and be dead in two weeks, but that reality comes more evident as you continue to live life. 
And I think back then I was thinking about that the other day in the minor leagues. I'm like, man, did I really enjoy life or was, or was I just totally consumed in making it to the big leagues? But nowadays, obviously, time has gone by. I'm married and I have two boys. And I mean, every day is a gift. Every day is a gift. And I, re- I really enjoy life now. And I think I enjoyed life back then. But sometimes you're just so wrapped up as, as a young kid in, in what you need to do to get to your goal that you forget. You forget your blessings sometimes. So yeah, definitely. Um, that, so with uh, with your family life, uh, how much was your relationship with your father has, has shaped you up to become the father you are for your children? That's a great question because I was I literally talked to to my dad. I called him earlier today and talked to him about a half an hour, and he was talking about one of his. Uh, minor league coaches that he kind of took under his wing. He was a young minor league coach and, and he called my dad out of the blue and thanked him for all the stuff that he's done for him. And, and he was just saying, well, yeah, that's the way my dad taught me how to be and my grandfather. So so we had a good father-son talk today, me and my dad. It was one of the better ones we've had in a long time. And so, yeah, I, uh, I definitely tell my boys all the time about granddaddy and what he's meant to me and the things that I tell them is a result of what my dad told me. So, uh, as a, as a young boy, I remember my dad telling me, Hey, my dad used to tell me the same things. So I'm just basically saying what I've heard and I'm just, this is how I was raised. So this is the only way I know. And then I've told my sons that, <laughs> This is how I was raised. This is the only way I know. Your granddaddy would tell you the same thing. And you would probably tell your kids the same. And and my dad would tell me sometimes, you may not understand it now, but when you're when you have boys of your own, you will. And and that certainly has come true. So it's it's amazing how uh, life comes in full circle because your perspective that's one of my favorite words is perspective because you, you can go just down a rabbit hole talking about perspective, but uh, for perspective from a dad's perspective, when, when somebody has their first child and I've talked to several of my buddies that they didn't become a father until later on in life, but they tell me, man, life has changed ever since I had my child. I said, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different, it's a different world. You're you're looking after somebody now, mm-hmm. and so um, that's that's definitely what, what I experienced. And um, what I actually had a conversation with a lady who reached out to me on LinkedIn. Um, she deals with an organization that's called Win Again, and they deal with uh, former athletes that are looking to find another career after their career in sports have ended, and we talk about the mindset of an athlete that retires and then has that, okay, now what? So that perspective to where you're a baseball player one day and then you turn the page and all of a sudden you're like, okay, that chapter's over. So how am I going to write the remainder of this book? And sometimes you don't know how that's going to end because the ending of the book is where it's at. Like a movie. It's like, like a movie script. If you write a good movie script and the 
second half of the script is empty, well, you better make sure that you end pretty good or else it's not going to be a good movie. But for former athletes, we go through that and for our lives. We're like, well, okay, your first half of your life, wow, that was awesome. But then nobody talks about the other half of the book. So you're, I'm going through that right now. And, and I could say that I'm happy with the way my book's going. I'm just going after my passions right now. And I think that's what everybody should do. Find a passion. And it's not all about making money. It's all about finding what you love to do. And kind of like baseball was my first love. Then it came being an instructor, which I'm still doing. I love, that's my second favorite love is teaching the game, which I did it earlier tonight at practice. It was great. And then I'm in the, in the wine business now. I love wine. I love sharing about what I've learned about natural wines. And that's part of my life now too. So uh, it's, again, it's, it's uh, finding what you, finding the joys of life and I guess sharing it with people. It's, what life's all about definitely very 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 cool very insightful um you're definitely living a great life and i i hope and i wish the best for you and your family i hope uh, more successes come your way uh as a uh, father and i hope your kids uh, come out to be uh, great people as well oh i hey, I, I really appreciate that thank you very much i wish you guys the best too thanks thanks for having me it's always good to talk baseball, and um, it's just very, very nice um, being able to connect with you guys over the phone. And I haven't met you in person, but again, this is one of the spices of life. It's just sharing our passions. We talk baseball. I know you guys have a passion for baseball, which we could relate to. And this is uh, just really, really, really nice to to share experiences, I guess it's somewhat soothing for me to think back of my career and talk and share stories that I don't really get to share with a lot of a lot of people. I haven't shared these stories with any other reporters, maybe one or two of them, but um, it's really nice to, to share these. And hopefully you guys could uh, basically just see from a, again, perspective, that's another word, player's perspective of, of what he goes through in his head before, during, and after the game, and after his career. So I hope you guys uh, really got out of it as much as I got out of this. It's really nice talking to you guys. Yeah, man. Thank you for for taking the time and sharing about uh, sharing all your, your your minor league stories, major league stories, and then just stories about your life right now. We, we really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Wish you guys the best on your on your podcast. And, and in life also uh, other things that you guys would want to accomplish I wish you the best as well thank you very much Scott for, the, for your time tonight really appreciate it and it was really cool to uh, hear your perspective on life you don't need nobody else and you're putting this all on me